Matthew 28, verses 1 to 20, the resurrection. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and tell him you, and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Peter, for, having the, uh, for reading the scriptures for us. Uh, it is great to just simply sit underneath uh, the scriptures. Um, firstly, let me say I am so thrilled to be here this morning. Um, I'm so thrilled that, that all of you have decided to uh, come along to be at church on this Easter Sunday to celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, there are so many in our world who uh, spend today just as a holiday. They spend time with family, perhaps, but they, they have no idea that uh, this day is really important. Uh, what we are remembering this day is really significant. He is 
risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. My prayer this morning is that if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and you're here, whether you're visiting or not, my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would be at work in your heart. That the Holy Spirit would be at work through me and what I share now. That the Holy Spirit would be at work through God's word, revealing the truth and message of the gospel. Not only that, but also that you would then accept Jesus into your heart this day. That your life would be radically transformed by the love and grace of our Father God and the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And my prayer for the rest of us who have done exactly that, who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, my prayer for all of us is that we might move from darkness into the light. That on this day where we remember Jesus as he rose from death to resurrection, that our lives would be the same, that we would move from death to resurrection. My suspicion is that some of us are here today We've accepted Jesus and yet we continue to be slaves to sin, giving in to the temptation of the evil one, giving in to the desires of the flesh. And that is not how it should be. And so my hope is that you would not spend your days living in darkness, that by the blood that was shed for you on that cross, that you might be moved from death in your sins to life in Jesus, that you might be resurrected, reborn, Made alive in who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures which have been read for us. We, um, we thank you for uh, the authority, the truth, um, the, uh, the consistency of your word. Father God, that we can turn to, to any page throughout the scriptures and we'll find your love for us. We'll find uh, your sovereignty. We'll find the gospel message. Heavenly Father, as we work through a, a range of scriptures this morning, which reveal this good news of Jesus' death and now resurrection, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would quieten our hearts, quieten our minds. Would we not be distracted, Heavenly Father, but would we be open, willing, available to accept uh, the word, the message that you have for us? Father God, would your spirit be mightily at work in this place? Would we actually not leave the way that we came in? Would our lives be transformed for your glory? Heavenly Father, would this not merely be another Easter for for so many of us who have simply um, come along to church every Easter, but, but we continue to live a certain way which you are not pleased with? Heavenly Father, would we actually live in a way which you are so pleased with us? Father God, would we in fact live in the resurrection? Would we be brought to newness of life? Father God, this is only possible through your son Jesus, and so would he enter into our hearts? Would he work? Would he lead and we follow? Would he direct and we simply obey? And Father God, would it all be for your glory in your son's name? Amen. I've said it before that when, you have, that when you live in the confidence of Christ's death and resurrection for you, you don't need to walk through life with a limp. 
Now, what I mean by that is this, if you believe that Christ has died for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins, then although you continue to sin, you can have confidence that you are saved by grace. Not only up until a certain point, not only once you reach a certain level of righteousness, not only when you've gone an amount of days reading the scriptures or in prayer, there's nothing you can do to deserve Jesus dying for you. And yet, God doesn't want you to continue living in darkness. He wants you to live in the light. God doesn't want you to continue living in sin. Jesus, uh, he, he wants you to be so transformed by Jesus that you actually put to death the sin in your life. Paul very clearly reveals in Romans 6 that there's not this manipulation or, or trickery that God is playing with us where he intends for us to keep on sinning simply so that grace may abound. By no means does our God want this. No, he actually wants you to live in the light, to be resurrected, reborn, made alive in Christ. That just as Jesus has defeated death by overcoming the grave, what we remember and celebrate on Easter Sunday, God reveals that we too can be resurrected, reborn, made alive in Christ. God doesn't intend for us to accept Jesus and then to continue living as the world lives. And I, I wonder if there's anyone in here who can admit that they trust in the forgiveness of God so much that they continue to live in willful sin. Like you're just going through life absolutely knowing and believing that there is a God, that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, and you were abusing and mocking that love poured out in Christ's death by continuing to live in sin. And we do this by doing what we know is wrong or by not doing what we know is right. You see, I believe that God wants us to find this beautiful tension this tension of being humbled before our sovereign God, having the knowledge that we are wretched sinners. And I pray that we would never forget that. I pray that we would never view ourselves as being righteous or holy or deserving of grace, better than all those wicked heathens in their sinful ways. And yet, knowing that we are saved by grace. We have been reborn into eternal life, knowing that we are no longer slaves to sin. No, no, no. We resist sin. And so that's the tension. Don't allow yourself to ever believe that you are righteous or without sin, but live righteously. Flee from sin. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, keep my commands. The scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us to live righteously, to do whatever we can to resist sin, 
to not live as the world lives, to not gratify the cravings of our flesh. And there's plenty of reasons for this. Firstly, we should live righteously because we know of the consequence of sin. That's what we looked at on Friday. That every sin you commit drives a nail into Christ's hands as he hung in your place. Secondly, and this is just purely selfish, but live righteously because living in sin leads to destruction. Don't take my word for that. Explore that in the scriptures. There are countless scriptures that reveal that living in sin leads to destruction. But also, ask anyone who has had their marriage breakdown. Ask anyone who has got caught up in alcohol or drug addiction. Ask anyone who is estranged from their parents or their kids. Ask anyone who by every metric is experiencing destruction and they'll tell you that ultimately sin leads to destruction. If you continue to live in this sinful, self-glorifying, unrighteous way, it will lead to destruction. And so live righteously that you may not be led into destruction. Thirdly, you should live righteously because we see it as a means that God utilizes in the expansion of the kingdom. 1 Peter 2 verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There is nothing more detrimental to the kingdom of God than Christians who don't pursue righteousness. I remember as a kid going through youth group, being friends with my youth leaders on Facebook. And on Friday night, they'd be sharing the gospel with you. And on Saturday, they're posting scantily clad photos of themselves getting hammered at the nightclub. We see this regularly with these disgraced church leaders. That some scandal breaks and you realise that these guys aren't pursuing righteousness. They're off having affairs or stealing money. And God must be absolutely tearing his hair out thinking... You're supposed to be representing Christ. So live righteously. Live above reproach. Resist sin. Resist the evil one. Live such good lives, living in the world that God's glory is amplified through you. I've shared before that I want the way that I drive my car to represent Christ, right? How hard is that? But you see it all the time. You see this car zipping in and out of traffic. Sometimes it's me, not all the time. <laughs> zipping in and out of traffic. And you think, that person's a, a terrible person, aren't they? But I want, I want to be that guy who lets people in. No, no, after you, after you. Represent Christ. Not just like when you're here on a Sunday. In every aspect of your life. But, and here's this tension. When you come before God, don't be shouting your righteousness. Don't be thinking of all the times you resisted sin. Don't be patting yourself on the back. Don't be talking about those times you let someone in in the traffic. No, come before God in reverence, in humility, acknowledging your wickedness. A short parable from Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So are you understanding this tension that I'm talking about? I'm sure in almost every way God was really pleased with this Pharisee with his righteous living, with his generosity, with his respect for the law. And yet God says, do not come before me with this false righteousness. No, come before me as this tax collector, knelt before me in reverence, totally aware of his failings and shortcomings, asking God to forgive him a sinner. And he went home justified. If you look up this word justified in a theological dictionary, you know what you see? What you'll see? It says to be declared or made righteous in the sight of God. To be declared or made righteous in the sight of God. And so you want to be resurrected, reborn, made alive in Christ? You want to pursue righteousness which the scriptures tell us to pursue? You'll have to find this tension. Because you can't achieve true righteousness otherwise. You can't just live righteously and then come before God boasting in your righteousness. You have to live righteously and then come before God in reverence as a wretched sinner. Asking God to have mercy on you. And then you will be declared righteous in the eyes of God. Some people, and this isn't made up, I sat and had a coffee with someone for about two hours while he revealed to me his righteousness. He shared all the ways that he had resisted sin for decades. And when I asked, he couldn't remember the last time he sinned. I guarantee he is not justified in the eyes of God. Because you actually need to live righteously and not allow it to go to your head. That's the trick. You have to live righteously, but never forget that you are a sinner. Live righteously, but remain humble as you stand before God. Now, some of you are sitting here and you've been following Jesus for a really long time and you just feel so lost. You feel so engulfed in your sin and you're thinking, I don't, I don't actually know where to begin. I don't know how to live righteously. I can't stop sinning. I've tried. I've white-knuckled it. I've gone cold turkey. I've met with mentors. I've tried to strengthen my willpower. I can't do it, Jordan. I can't. I hear you. I do. Because I feel the same way. I can't do it. Gary can't do it. Cliff can't do it. Lynn can't do it. None of us can. None of us can do it on our own. That's the whole point, isn't it? The whole point of the gospel is that you can't take your cross up Mount Golgotha. You can't save yourself. You can't live righteously without Jesus taking residence in your life. So you know what that means? It means putting your old self to death. Your life without Christ, when you lived in utter darkness, that life is put to death. How does Paul say it in Galatians 3? For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To find resurrection, rebirth, to be made alive in Christ, it makes perfect sense. You have to put your old self to death. You need to hang your old self, your old ways, your past desires and goals, your comforts and what brought you peace. You need to hang that on the cross and know that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Therefore, would Christ lead and I follow? Would his heart become my heart? Would his will and purpose be my will and my purpose? Would I, see his, the, 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 would I see this life that has been gifted to me as a tool for the glory of God? That he would use me, lead me, sharpen me for his will, for his glory. And so, follower of Jesus, I'm welcoming you to say, yes, that's me. I want to be dead to who I once was. I do not want to continue living in darkness. I do not want to I do not want that life that I once lived to keep on living. Would you put it to death, Lord, that I might be made righteous in your sight? Would you live in me, Lord Jesus? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Would I experience resurrection, rebirth? Would I be made alive in Christ to the glory of God? And to the non-believer, though you neglect and dismiss God, he still wants you. He loves you so much that though you sin against him, he sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life, who had no charge against him. He sent his son to die for your sins that you might receive eternal life. You can leave here today having received eternal life. That's what's on offer. That's how serious this is. You can simply ask Jesus into your heart this morning. And then you can trust that if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will receive eternity. Your old self will be put to death and Christ will be at work in your heart that you may be justified before God that you would be made righteous before God. So that's the invitation. If you're a believer in the room and you acknowledge that you continue to live in sin, I acknowledge that. I, I, in so many ways, am am trapped in so many sins that I just, as I said, I white-knuckle it. I try and do whatever I can. Right now, the invitation for me and for all of you is... Please, Jesus, would you put that life to death? Would I be resurrected into new life in you? And for the non-believer, it's simply, Jesus, would you actually just enter into my heart? I I I cannot save myself, right? I cannot understand the gospel without the Holy Spirit doing a work. And so if you're here right now, it's that simple. I did it as an eight-year-old boy. I understand it. I'm an idiot, right? You can understand this. You can invite Jesus into your heart. Simply ask him to dwell in your heart. The church has remembered the death of Jesus in many ways throughout history. But I would argue the most significant and consistent method is through partaking in the Lord's Supper. And what is so beautiful about this is that we take this piece of bread and we take this small cup and what we are celebrating is our union with Christ. 
exactly what I've just been talking about, that he died for us and that our old selves died with him, that he was raised from the dead and now we are raised into new life with him residing in us. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So he is in us and we are in him and we rest in the comfort of his love. Now, I want to say, because I think it's important to say, that this is for believers. You don't need to be a certain age or a Christian for a certain amount of time, but you do have to believe that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. If you don't believe he is, the scriptures say this isn't for you. You are drinking judgment upon yourself. If, however, you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, even if it is right now in this moment, you can take the bread... And take the cup and allow this time to say thank you to Jesus for dying in your place. For taking upon himself your deserved punishment. Remember his body. Remember his blood. For he was pierced. He was crushed. Why? For your transgressions. For your iniquities. That's what we're remembering here. I'm going to invite Cliff and Gary up to pray uh, for the bread and the cup. Thanks, guys. And as they come up, let me read uh, these words recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.